The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, and welcome to Tech Trader on Barron's Live. I'm Barron's Associate Editor, Eric Savitz. Together with me today is my friend Paul Meeks, who is both a uh, finance professor at the Citadel uh, and also a fund manager with Independent uh, Solutions Wealth Management and somebody who's been involved in tech investing for a very long time. Paul, thanks for being with me today. Always great to be here. You're one of my favorite dudes in tech <laughs> journalism, so it's uh, cool to be back. It's uh, it's always fun to have you. So uh, this has been a uh, weird start to the year, right? Well, we had, uh, of course, uh, a really rough 2022 uh, for tech stocks, and they came, uh, like the, the market as a whole, tech stocks came roaring out of the box in January. We've had huge gains, uh, almost stunning gains, really, in many stocks. Now, of course, they came off, in many cases, off uh, huge declines, but we're, we're, yeah, many stocks are up 30 40 50%. Uh, right out of the box in a few weeks, there have been some doubles, things like that. Um, but we seem to have lost a little momentum in the last week or so. How are you feeling about that rally? Uh, I mean, that was like a that was years worth of rally in like a few weeks. Um, how are you feeling about that rally, and 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 what are we seeing now? So I'm a little bit uh, worried that you know the lack of momentum that we're encountering now will continue to the downside because I think the rally, which didn't start necessarily January one, it was right. a big bounce off of October of twenty two. I think a lot of it is not based on uh, company fundamentals at all. Actually, I'm adamant about that. It's all based on the belief that uh, either we don't have a recession, we have a recession that is uh, short and shallow. And even if we do have a recession, that the uh, Fed will quickly pivot and lower rates as fast as they raise them. And then you have uh, lower rates, which is awesome for tech and aggressive growth stocks. Right. Unfortunately, I don't think that happens. You know, I'm in the camp that will raise rates uh, at least a half a percent, two more meetings. Maybe we get done with the rate hikes at the beginning of May. That's my prediction. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that the Fed almost in any scenario, even if the economy is weaker than people think, will turn around and pivot. Because if they do that, after all this hard work and all this pain to raise rates to uh, dampen inflation, they're not going to turn around and upset that apple cart. And if uh, tech and aggressive growth stock investors think that's going to be happening, they're going to be sorely disappointed. And I think that is the realization, Eric, that we're seeing now. Whoops, that ain't a thesis. And now we're back to companies that have just come through the first quarter reports and their fundamentals were pretty poor. Their outlooks were pretty poor. The biggest news in tech is nothing to do with uh, top line growth. It's all to do about how many people you can fire. And that might be a good short term thesis to be more efficient, but it ain't a long term thesis. And so I think that uh, unfortunately, the rally since last fall was uh, premature. And I think we're going to continue to bleed to the downside. I don't think that we retest the October lows, but mm -hmm. maybe uh, somewhere between here and there. Yeah, it, there's a, I think there's definitely like a, this sensibility that the Fed is 
for like closer to the end of the tightening process than the beginning. And that after that, things would get better. There was sort of this widespread view that the first half was going to be a little bit rough. They were going to have some, you know, not very good numbers in Q4. And I would say so far, they haven't really been very good. And that Q1 was also going to be a problem, but just wait till the second half. Things are going to get better. Stocks should all recover in the second half. But as you say, that was very much tied to what happens with the Fed. Um, and this, uh, I think there's also been some uh, growing optimism that maybe we won't have a recession. Like the economy seems pretty healthy, certainly on the jobs front. Um, even just this morning, uh, we were talking earlier about why the market's getting uh, kind of hit around uh, today. And part of it is, as you say, uh, is not a tech name. It's Home Depot, uh, which uh, reported results this morning and among other things, has um, warned about higher labor costs. Yeah, a billion dollars uh, company-wide for the hourly wages. And that uh, obviously is critical. And it does bleed into the tech thesis because if you have lingering inflation, and of course, wage inflation is a big component in the overall inflation right. figure, that that is a problem that's not going away. Right. And if it doesn't go away, uh, the Fed, you know, while they may stop raising rates, they're not going to turn around anytime soon with that in question and start lowering them. So uh, there's, uh, uh, as you say, there has been this trend where uh, uh, the, the most bullish thing you could do uh, for your stock uh, price is to uh, lay people off. And uh, nowhere has this been more dramatic uh, and just cut costs, right? So no, nowhere has this been more uh, dramatic than with Meta, um, which is a fantastically interesting story the last two quarters. This really goes back to Q3 when they reported numbers that were okay, but then provided uh, cost expectations of, of an outlook for spending that was way above where the street had anticipated. Stock collapsed like 25% on earnings day. Then they got religion. So Mark uh, got lectured uh, by a bunch of investors who basically said, dude, stop this. Like you, you can't spend your way um, out of this uh, situation. Uh, he, he, two weeks, I think it was about two weeks after they laid off like to 11,000 people. Fast forward to Q4, numbers again, not so great. They're not growing at the top line. Um, they, they got a little better user growth maybe than people thought. But overall, not a great quarter. But what did they do? They announced a whole new round of, uh, of spending uh, tightness. And uh, I've written about this before. You, you listen to their call or go back and read the transcript for the call. And Mark said the word efficiency like 30 times on the call. Uh, he is now Mr. Efficiency. He said it's the year of efficiency, um, and the stock uh, has responded very strongly uh, to that. Now, I think, uh, now that's all a little bit ancient history. They did another thing over the weekend I want to talk a little bit about. So um, Meta, uh, via Mark, announced a new plan to uh, start charging people to verify their accounts. So this is... A, they're taking a page right out of the Twitter playbook here, like a verified accounts. And you can now, you'll be able to pay, I think it's $11.99 a month. And you'll get a little blue badge that said, you know, you Paul Meeks are in fact Paul Meeks. And, uh, and I think the other thing that almost is more valuable is if you have a problem, you can actually call us and talk to us and we'll, we'll deal with it. So that's interesting. It's a different source of revenue. Um, and the market seems to like it. Metastock is actually doing better than the market today. I'm curious how you feel about that. 
idea. And uh, it is another, it's not about efficiency in some ways, uh, but it is about them trying to find another source of revenue. And I'm curious how you feel about that. Yeah, I actually think uh, Meta is viable, you know, partly because we are in the year of efficiency and their costs were so badly bloated, even right. beyond the spending on the metaverse, which was pretty spurious. Right. And then, of course, also, you know, they have talked about how they're ranking employees. And when you do that and you have the bottom performers, that means those guys are on their way out, too. Right. Or there'll be even further labor costs. But yes, you know, they're desperate for a, a new revenue stream. And I think uh, what you're talking about, what they announced over the weekend is absolutely viable, something they should do. I think it's pretty clever. Uh, what's going to bring them back to the dance and why I think the stock is viable is now we have lower base of costs. And when the economy comes back, and I expect if we do have the recession, it is short and shallow, that they will see a rebound in digital advertising. Because in the meantime, their engagement has not uh, fallen off the cliff that some people worried about with the threat from TikTok. Right. And so they should be all right, right? Spring coiled, lower expenses will come back naturally with uh, the rebirth with the economy, with digital advertising, a couple of new revenue streams that you've talked about, the year of efficiency. I don't really admire the company, but I do think it's uh, viable here because even after the run, it still has a decent valuation. Yeah, I I also think the uh, uh, there is a kind of wild card scenario here, and I, I don't know how, exactly how this plays out, but you know there's a lot of talk in Congress about potentially banning TikTok, and uh, TikTok of course is a, a key rival, has yeah. become a key rival um, for them, uh, particularly in in video. They've created Reels, their short form video uh, service, in direct response to TikTok. If something really did happen to TikTok, um, I can only imagine that it would be a huge boost for Meta's shares. Now that hasn't happened yet, and we might, there's no assurance that it will. But that that looms as a uh, a kind of a black swan potential boost to Meta. Yeah, and a black swan is a uh, positive catalyst, not a negative catalyst. As a positive one, right? Yeah, I so think what happens is uh, they won't be banned TikTok. That is, but they will be. Right. Uh, clipped their wings in some way and show right. yeah, that should still uh, benefit at least incrementally, you know, the top line for um, Facebook. But again, the key will be the economy comes back, digital advertising comes back. They don't lose much share and they come to the dance with a pretty big share to begin with. I think that'll uh, be enough to lift the stock and probably give it a nice pop from here, even though the stock's already moved. Okay. So while we're talking about digital advertising, let's talk a little bit about uh, Alphabet and Google. Yeah. A uh, whole different dynamic going on there, right? So uh, as people are certainly aware, if they've been conscious the last few weeks, um, Alphabet shares have come under pressure um, because of Microsoft's uh, relationship uh, with OpenAI. And of course, they are inserting some of OpenAI's um, regenerative AI technology into Bing. Now there have been some missteps along the way here. Uh, the, 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 there's been a lot of reporting around the uh, Bing uh, chat uh, interface acting kind of weirdly. It's not broadly available yet. It's sort of in a beta phase. Alphabet, which has also launched uh, some efforts. Have they been doing AI for a long time, by the way? I mean, in fact, uh, every time you do a Google search, uh, it, it's, used, it's leveraging AI technology. You know, you start typing in uh, a name or something into the search box. 
that whole process where it tries to give you suggestions, completion uh, suggestions, that's an AI function. Um, but what's happened, of course, is that, um, you know, I, I always like to say that Google search is probably the best business on earth, right? It's a gigantic business. Google controls basically all of it. Last count was like 93% market share. Bing has 3% market share. And even that, you know, who's going to Bing? It's probably largely people who are using Microsoft's Edge uh, browser and haven't bothered to change the default settings. Uh, so it's really, you know, they're not been, they've not been a competitor. And suddenly with this open eye relationship, it looks like maybe Bing is going to be a little bit of competitor on the margin. And, you know, it, Microsoft keeps pointing out it's a $200 billion market. If they swing a few percentage points of market share, um, it's going to be a boon to Microsoft and a threat to Alphabet. And so, and that's the way the stock has behaved. Now, it is true that in, you know, the last few days, there have been some rethink a little bit of, well, maybe this Bing thing is not going to maybe it's not going to be as big a deal, but I'm curious how you think about that. You actually own both of the stocks, right? Um, let's talk about alphabet first and how you, you look at this. Yeah. So, so among the uh, fangs, Eric, I think um, alphabet is my uh, favorite idea. You know, I'm a little bit of a different um, tech investor in both of that. I'm, you know, value centric. Mm -hmm. And so I actually think the whole bugaboo about uh, the AI threat, particularly the relationship between uh, Microsoft and OpenAI and ChatGPT is over-exaggerated in both directions, right? It's not going to be as big a deal for Microsoft and OpenAI as they make it out to be, mm -hmm. and it's not going to be as big of a threat to Alphabet as they make it out to be. I think what uh, Microsoft has done recently is a much better job with the PR, mm -hmm. and particularly uh, rolling out Satya Nadella. I mean, the guy is uh, magic in that situation. Yes. And of course, uh, Alphabet absolutely blew it. They absolutely did blew it. But in the meantime, I think that uh, they won't be the leader, don't have to be the leader. They can be a fast follower and make sure that they get the technology right. Because the problem with ChatGPT now is despite all the uh, excitement, you know, it's a little bit glitchy, it's messy, and frankly, at least slightly dangerous. <laughs> and so uh, Alphabet, who has everything to lose, you know, actually is doing the right thing. Now, uh, PRI, PR-wise, absolutely botched it. Operationally, I think they're doing the right thing. They don't have to be the uh, first to market. Microsoft yeah. has everything to gain. And so that's why they want to uh, rush the technology. And unfortunately, right now, it looks good PR-wise. But we've seen the last couple of days and weeks, it's starting to backfire a bit. And I think that uh, Alphabet will clearly lose some share. Microsoft will clearly gain some share. But the uh, reaction to Alphabet's loss of share, I think, is way too much. Actually, I think it presents a pretty good buying opportunity in the stock. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I think in some ways, the um, you know, there was, so for example, there was a lot of focus when Google uh, did their announcement. Of, uh, so they're they're doing both. They're going to have a standalone Chat GPT like application, which is called Bard. Mm -hmm. No one's really used Bard yet uh, in, in terms of the public, so we don't really know what it's going to uh, be like. But in one of the demonstrations they gave, there was a factual error involving, you know, the the like the uh, web and Hubble Space Telescopes. There was like that was a real like kind of PR flub that they could have 
caught. So there've been some things like that. And of course there've been lots of problems, uh, errors that have shown up on um, both with ChatGPT and with Bing Chat. And, and, and that's, that's all not that surprising. This is basically like beta software. It's super powerful, but it's also um, early on. And of course, anybody who's ever done a Google search knows that sometimes you you get results that like are not quite what you're looking for, questionable value, and nobody really complains about that particularly. It's just the definitiveness of the format. The other thing I think that's interesting here is these all of these applications are really early. Like, so if you use chat GPT, um, it does chat GPT in particular doesn't access the open internet. It can't do image searches. It can't like tell you who won like last night's basketball game. It doesn't have access to that information. It can't give you a weather report. Can't play a video for you. Uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff it can't do. It's all text-based. And even with Bing, um, uh, you know, you can, it can, there are ways to, it can't really do those things either. It can, it can tell you the current events questions it can answer. Um, it can't do image searches or video searches. Um, Chat GPT is trained only largely on an English language database. There's like all sorts of problems here. But I think what's more interesting, really, and more important to think about is from the long-term point of view, AI is reaching a level of ubiquity where it's going to show up in everything. Right. Uh, it's, you know. Yeah, I think there's uh, a wonderful ecosystem to invest in. Yeah. But if I was to make my bets today, you know, I would have somebody like NVIDIA, which obviously is going to uh, drive the market with their GPUs. Right. I would have uh, Alphabet and Microsoft. Mm -hmm. I mean, at these crazy valuations for some of these uh, brand new AI upstarts, yeah. I don't know if I would bet on them. Right. They're super cool, super expensive. In the meantime, again, you don't have to be the leader if you're a fast follower. And I think right. Alphabet definitely will be. They will be, if not uh, the leader in the ecosystem, they will definitely get a big uh, pull from it. And that'll be terrific. Right. Now, you do own Microsoft. So so I presume that there's a little bit different thesis there for Microsoft. Yeah, I think uh, Microsoft is interesting. Uh, it's not as compelling to me as Alphabet is, my favorite mm -hmm. FANG idea. But Microsoft is doing some of their uh, own rationalization of costs. Right. Probably important. Uh, as the economy comes back, they will have a bump, you know, particularly on the uh, computer hardware side of the house that drives their um, operating system software. Yeah, I think it's uh, an interesting investment. I think you need to have it as a uh, kind of a stalwart in a tech portfolio, right. but it's not on the uh, top of my list. Alphabet would be on the top of my list just because its valuation is so much more compelling. Right. Well, and, you know, I think Microsoft has two ongoing issues. PC demand is still kind of terrible. Um, that does influence their, um, you know, their their business. They have three major operating segments. One, uh, they, they all have goofy names, but this segment they call more personal computing right. is uh, is basically Windows uh, plus uh, Surface and a few other things. Xbox is in there, um, and they that 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 segment of their business is just not performing performing very well. And then on the cloud side, uh, they're still doing huge growth um, in Azure. But, but the, the rate of uh, growth has decelerated. And we're seeing that, of course, with AWS. And, yeah. cloud games. Um, and so they'll probably continue to pick up some share. But I think uh, Google Cloud and Oracle will also uh, pick up share in uh, cloud infrastructure from Azure and AWS. So this is probably a business that's now growing at 20%, Eric. Remember, right. 
uh, many, many years of many quarters in a row was growing at 50%. Right. I think it's probably over. And now uh, some of these cloud models are based on consumption at customers. Obviously, right. they dial that back a little bit during a recession. So again, it also depends on how, do we have a recession? Is right. it shallow? Is it uh, deep? Is it short-lived? We'll see. Right. So one other uh, kind of uh, other name that's adjacent to this space where you have a position is in Baidu. Now, you know, Baidu, of course, is a fast, fascinating company. They've made their name as the largest uh, player in the search market in China. Uh, they do a bunch of other things, including like technology for electric, uh, for autonomous vehicles and, and some other things. But they're also playing in this AI space. Uh, China's large market. I'm, I'm curious about your thinking about Baidu. Yeah, I think that um, you need to own some Chinese tech. And, you know, the uh, who's who is a list of what, five, six, seven stocks. Right. And I think uh, Baidu should be a beneficiary for that reason. And also among the Chinese tech titans, they do have the AI booster. And right. I think we can all debate, you know, is that uh, really legit? I think right. it is legit. I don't know when it's going to be, but for that reason, I own it. I also own some Penduo Duo. Over time, I've owned you know JD and uh, Alibaba. Don't own them now, but the big driver there is the potential AI boost for Baidu, and also uh, more importantly, reopening of the Chinese economy, a lessening of the uh, hardliners on tech regulation, and also lessening of the hardliners on the really stiff accounting rules that they had to follow. Now it looks like. Uh, the U.S. and the Chinese accounting regulators are actually going to be able to get along. Right. Okay. So let's talk about a couple of other things. I want to touch on a couple of hardware names. So Cisco just reported earnings. Um, and they were that was a really interesting report because they raised their guidance uh, for the full year by a pretty wide margin. That yeah. is unusual for anyone, and particularly for sort of an old school uh, tech name like Cisco. They, they're now seeing... Uh, uh, about 10% uh, top line growth for the year. They haven't had a 10% growth year since like coming out of the great recession. It's been yeah. a long time. And now there was a, and the stock initially responded very strongly, but it's kind of a controversial name in some ways because the naysayers look at this and go, eh, you're just pulling down your back, your backlog. Yeah. You're not really a 10% grower. You're like a 3% grower. And uh, we're not going to get too excited about this. And yet, uh, they've uh, they've they've made changes in their business. Um, you've been bullish on Cisco. What's your your uh, uh, thesis? Yeah, so I think despite what the naysayers are saying, they uh, beat the numbers so widely in right. the quarter just ended, and they gave guidance that was so much better that there's something legit there. Now I do worry that they're boosting their sales guidance by drawing down uh, backlog, mm -hmm. and so obviously they have to boost their order rates. But I do, uh, generally speaking, like Cisco. One of the reasons I like it, and I also own it in my dividend model, is because it has the uh, lush dividend and then kind of a call option on price appreciation. Right. I do like data networking. You know, Also in my portfolios, you'll find Arista Networks, mm -hmm. Juniper, and sometimes even Extreme Networks. Mm -hmm. So I like all of them, but I think uh, Cisco should be in there. But I think out of uh, all those names, Arista would be my favorite. Yeah, so let's talk about Arista. So they they just reported recently too and had pretty good numbers. And one of the interesting things about Arista is they are very directly tied to the cloud player. So they're they're getting close to half their revenue now from what's the phrase they use like the cloud, cloud titans, cloud titans, right? Which is yeah. uh, a way of talking about not just the 
you know, the three big players in, in the, uh, you know, in the cloud uh, computing market, but also Meta and a few other people right. who are, who are there in, in the case of Meta and Microsoft, they, those two are the, they are by far the largest uh, uh, customers of Arista. Um, it is true. We were just talking about it. Meta's going to slow down their spend, but they are spending a lot of money on, uh, on their cloud business and particularly around AI. I, I think it's interesting that, uh, the other thing that you know that Zuckerberg talked a lot about on their last call, besides efficiency, was AI. And they talked about they're going to roll out generative AI applications in the coming year. All of that, all of those applications require a tremendous amount of compute power, and Arista seems to be just in the sweet spot there for uh, for networking in the cloud. Yeah, I think it's a uh, good company. I think it's very tightly managed. Um, very sophisticated uh, technology, continue to take market share. I do worry that cloud infrastructure spending, you know, uh, at least the revenues to that space to right. AWS and Azure go from 50% to 20. Right. But the pie is still growing. And I think Arista will continue to take more than its fair share of the market. So I keep an eye on that, but I am uh, as bullish or more bullish than I have been. And even though it's much more expensive, it's my uh, top name in data networking. Okay. Um, got a question from one uh, one of our listeners about Apple, uh, which is not in your portfolio right now. Oh, yes, it is. It is in your portfolio. My bad. Yeah. Uh, but not the top of your uh, not 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 one of your very favorite names in, right. in that space. They had um, kind of a, a less than inspiring quarter, I would say, uh, when they reported results a few weeks ago. Um, there remains concerns about growth. Um, you know, they've been hurt by a combination of they had uh, supply chain issues with iPhone 14, particularly the high end models. Mac demand has slowed along with the rest of the PC space. There's sort of a sense that, hey, you know, Apple wasn't really growing much going into the pandemic, if at all. And maybe they're not growing again now. And, um, you know, there's always new things coming, right? iPhone 15 is uh, just coming up in the fall, right? And maybe they're going to do a mixed reality headset, right? Everybody seems to think that's happening. Maybe they're going to do a car. I don't really know. I mean, like, so so there's always this sense that there's more coming from Apple. Um, uh, and yet um, they're not growing. And so yeah, there might be a, that, uh, a year, uh, this fiscal year, of course, they don't have a calendar year. They have a fiscal. Right. Uh, that uh, they might have a revenue downdraft. Yeah. So I own Apple. I think almost any self-respecting tech investor uh, yes, must. Yeah. I own it, but it's not near the uh, top echelon in my portfolio because, you know, they have a pushback in uh, computer hardware. Right. And if we have a uh, recession, you will pull back on your PC and even your smartphone purchases. Right. And also they have big Chinese risk. People don't realize it's not just the Chinese supply chain, yes. but it's also Chinese demand. Yeah. And so maybe they've uh, got a little bit of relief, you know, now that the Chinese economy is reopening. But so those are some risks. And I admire the company enough and its innovation engine enough that I have it in the portfolio. Would I buy it fresh today? No. Would I sell it today? No. I just uh, hold it in kind of a uh, mid-tier in my portfolio. So one thing that, that's going to happen, uh, so there's a couple, I want to touch just briefly on a couple of names that are reporting earnings this week. This is a relatively light earnings week, but there's a couple of key ones. One is NVIDIA. Um, and 
uh, you know, we, we've talked a little bit about it. NVIDIA, NVIDIA's processors are a key ingredient in, in AI training models and, um, you know, inference engines and all this sort of esoteric compute that goes into doing generative AI. Um, they have a lot of other exposure to right. other trends, gaming, and uh, uh, they're, you know, they've been hurt by their exposure to cryptocurrency, where they've been, it was processors that got, in some cases, were redeployed for using uh, to do uh, crypto mining. Um, and of course, they have exposure to the PC cycle, which is what we're saying is, is not so good. Right. How, and, and they're, a, but they're just, a, they're a big semiconductor play on the cloud. How, how are you feeling about NVIDIA? What should we be looking for? Um, so NVIDIA reports uh, tomorrow night. Right. I don't own the stock now, despite the fact it's, you know, a, a key in most tech portfolios. I right. held it all uh, last year and for years prior. I think that the pop that that stock has seen since the lows last fall is right. too far too fast. Right. Because, you know, they're going through a pretty wrenching inventory correction for some of the you know, macro reasons that you yeah. just mentioned. And yes, when AI becomes a big thing and it probably becomes a big thing over time, you got to be there. Right. They are, you know, uh, providing the uh, pixels and the axes for the gold rush of AI. Absolutely. But I actually think the uh, near term stock is too expensive. Mm -hmm. They still have some lingering issues that won't necessarily be resolved anytime soon. And uh, I think if they have some negative stuff to say tomorrow night, there could be a little bit of uh, risk in that stock. I actually think if I was to bet today, the stock disappoints rather than um, um, gives us good news to the upside. That would That's be my uh, stance. So in the meantime, I definitely do not buy it before right. the announcement tomorrow. Okay. Uh, forewarned. Uh, we'll see what happens tomorrow. Um, even sooner, this afternoon, we're going to get results from Palo, Palo Alto Networks. Yeah. Well, Palo yeah. Alto Networks, of course, is one of the, the leading players in uh, security software. Yeah. Uh, they started off in like Firewall and now they're doing, you know, they've expanded their portfolio. Um, we've seen sort of mixed results in the security space. Uh, we've had, you know, CloudStrike a few uh, months ago uh, kind of warned people that Hey, you know the sales cycles are stretching out, and yep. um, you know there was there had been this uh, notion in the market that these stocks, these are going to be fine, right? These right. companies, that's the last thing you're going to stop spending money on is, right. is on security. But it turns out that there's that's a little too simplistic of a view. So I'm curious what you think about Peloton Networks. I know that that is a stock that you own. Um, yeah, how you're feeling about it going into the uh, the results tonight? Yeah, I'm a little bit worried that the uh, stock is not cheap enough to buy aggressively ahead of the announcement, but I think they're going to be fine. And I do think that if you prioritize tech spending, particularly in the enterprise, that this is a good place to go. But we do know, you and I have been around for a long time, Eric, that tech spending, everything, the whole enchilada is at least somewhat cyclical. Right. And so they might see a deceleration in growth rates. But in that group, I want to own that group and I want to own that stock. Okay. Um, couple last questions. So, uh, on semiconductors, as you say, a lot of players are suffering through right. inventory correction. Uh, it's been really severe in places that we've talked about many times in the past, like with, with Micron and in, in the memory space, and we're seeing it in microprocessors and a bunch of other places. Um, but there are some pockets of, of uh, strong demand, particularly for people playing the automotive yeah. in markets, industrial-led markets. Are you finding chip names that you want to own? 
yeah. environment? Yeah, I absolutely. If I go into uh, chips at all or chip making equipment, yeah, right. I want to be uh, auto focused. Mm -hmm. So analog devices, interesting. Microchip on semiconductor, ST micro. I mean, there's right. some plays in auto industrial that seem to do quite well. Right. Uh, some of the other ones, you know, particularly the biggest and most prominent of all, NVIDIA, I'm out. Right. Uh, so, yes, I think it's uh, pretty solid. And I think, you know, on the semiconductor capital equipment side, I like applied materials. I like ASM lithography. Mm -hmm. And so I am building up some semiconductor exposure, Eric, but I'm still uh, underweight the benchmark in that industry within the tech sector. And I'm laser beam focused on um, industrial and auto apps. Yeah. You know, on the equipment names, there's sort of this interesting dual track problem where in, in the short run, uh, people have been reducing spending plans. Uh, we saw this with Micron, with Intel, others. Um, and so, so the order demand, order flow this year is going to be bad, right? So like no. short-term demand is falling off a cliff. Meanwhile, what's going on? Microns were going to build the biggest fab on earth, uh, or at least in the U.S., Right. In upstate New York, Intel's building fabs in Arizona and Ohio and other places. So there's this uh, real push to reduce U.S. reliance on, uh, you know, Asian uh, chip manufacturer uh, manufacturing. So in the long run, that seems like great news for the ASMLs right. and applieds of the world. And that's uh, why past the short term. Beat. That's why I always want to be there. Right. Uh, but right now I am uh, light in the group because I do think the near-term headwinds, when I say near-term, they won't be resolved this year, right. are very stiff. Long-term, I uh, love them. I mean, it's uh, hard not to, because in that space, you can really identify the leaders quite easily. And right. so now I play the chicken, you know what way to play it defensively, yeah. which is through your auto and uh, industrial ICs. Right, okay. So I wanna come back around, uh, final uh, topic, uh, around to, uh, where we started on some of the ad supported names. So right now, as we're sitting here, the, well, maybe they're done now. The Supreme court has been listening to arguments around a case involving section 230. Right. Uh, there's another, there's a second part of this uh, two day uh, uh, debate around section 230 happens tomorrow at the court. Um, and you can listen to it. I was actually listening to the audio of it uh, earlier in the day. And the key, the key questions here involve, I won't get into all the details of the case, as basically involves the use of uh, uh, social media by terrorist groups and uh, sort of an allegation uh, from a, you know, a couple of lawsuits that they should be doing more uh, to prevent this from happening and that um, Section 230 uh, doesn't really protect them from uh, this kind of activity. And so, but what it gets down to is this question around whether Section 230, Section 230 does two key things. It says uh, you're not liable as, a, as an online uh, platform for things that are said by your users, right? So um, your, your Twitter or Facebook or YouTube or Yelp or whoever, yeah, you're not legally liable for something that someone uh, types into a uh, user-generated uh, piece of content. Um, and at the same time, it also says... You have the right, though, to uh, police that content, and you can take something down without consequence of action by the person whose content you took down. And uh, there's a lot of debate around this this particular piece of uh, 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 
law, and it's uh, it has been criticized from both sides of the political spectrum. Uh, you know, Democrats think tend to think uh, uh, that they don't uh, police enough. Uh, the Republicans tend to think they police too much. In any case, there is this notion that the court, in reviewing this question, may modify the rules. And depending on what they do, there is a certain amount of risk that it kind of messes up the business model of the internet. Yeah. And I'm curious how you think about that, whether you think that's a legitimate risk and uh, whether it's just too early to, to kind of calculate it in. I would note that um, uh, the court is hearing the he hearing uh, uh, discussion, argument about this today, won't rule for a few more months, so we won't know the outcome for a little while. Uh, but I'm curious how you think about that, how worried you are yeah. about changes. I'm actually, out of all the things that we've discussed today, for those related companies, I think this is the biggest risk. Yeah. And I usually, because I've been around a long time, have pretty strong feelings as to how I think things are going to work out. Right. Now, this one, I uh, don't. And it's a extreme risk. We'll see what happens. But because there's pressure from both uh, sides of the aisle, I imagine that they will in some way temper, restrict, whatever you want to call it, uh, the way they uh, serve up internet content. And even though it won't go away, the cost of compliance is really going to be very expensive for some of these social media companies because they're going to have to do so much more that um, uh, revenue may not uh, be dampened anyway. But man, the operating margins in that business might be squeezed with a huge potential increase in the cost of compliance. So yeah, I think it's... Uh, really big yeah. and we're talking and it goes, I would note that and we could have a longer conversation about this another time but like there's a this goes well beyond Google and Facebook YouTube, sure Twitter you know we're, anybody we're talking about uh, regulation from yeah. that anybody who, who who does user reviews uh yeah uh you know companies like and think Dell. about it when you write for Barron's uh if you were to uh, miss a fact or say something that uh, you know they easily pass along now in social media right. uh, you would be uh you know, in deep, deep, you know what? And so this is kind of interesting. We'll see right. what form of uh, journalism, you know, these stories take. Uh, but yes, it's uh, yeah. it's the be all end all. I think it's uh, really, really important. I, I will throw out one other thing on this front that's worth keeping an eye on. You know, there are two pending uh, Justice Department investigations of um, of Google. They've been sued, well, two pieces of litigation against Google. One, one that was just filed recently around their ad platform Right. That won't get that's years away from getting resolved. But this fall, I believe in September, uh, there the previous DOJ case, which is over the monopolization of search, which is fascinating given what we were just talking about being. Um, but that that piece of litigation that goes to trial in the fall, um, that could be a huge deal if they uh um it, depending on how that plays out, among other things, they're going after Google's search relationship with Apple. Yeah. which they say is uh, monopolistic, it's going to be really interesting. I think what will happen is, well, I don't want, I'm not sure if it will happen, but I think what could happen is, you know, uh, Alphabet will have to um, uh, spin off those uh, ad tools. Right. And if they do that, and I'm a shareholder, and I get a piece of that company in a uh, you know tax-free spin, it may not be so bad because I still captured the value. And sometimes yeah. when you break things up, the uh, parts are worth more than the sum. Um, I actually think that uh, that very well could happen. I'm much more worried about what happens with the uh, potential, you know, uh, reversal of Section 230. Right. 
Right. And we'll see what happens. Well, we are over time. Um, Paul, thank you so much. Time has flown by. So much still to, to talk about. Uh, we will do this again soon. Thank you for being with me. I very much appreciate it. Always an honor for me, Eric. Really cool. And uh, thanks to everyone for joining us today. Uh, please come back again tomorrow. Market Watch uh, financial planning consultant, uh, columnist, not consultant, uh, columnist Beth uh, Pinsker is going to talk to tax preparer uh, Tanisa Gaines about managing gains and losses from your investments, including from crypto. That should be interesting. Uh, coming up with this tax season ahead. Thanks to everyone for being with us. Be well, stay safe. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.